Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 265. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio, sweetie? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding, for goodness sakes? I do. And always remember our big motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is what? A parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about criticism, Liz Gilbert, and how it affected women. I don't know why I wrote that. I think that's the thing that you wrote that I didn't read yet. <laughs> the hunting ground, or as Kathy likes to call it, the hunting game. I keep saying either, I was listening to the interview we did with John Duffy, and I kept calling it the hunting game. And then I said it to Todd, I said the hunger ground today. So I keep messing up the hunger game. get the mom translator out. I know, for real. It's such a 40-year-old thing. And last but not least, uh, REI, the store. I get a little tidbit on REI. I, I already know what it is. Okay. Well, I, I don't ruin the surprise. I won't. Okay. Uh, but first, we are going to talk a little bit about this. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that Why am I playing this, sweetie? Because our class is next week. What's the date? So here's the thing. It I'm is... going to keep this going. Can you talk over the music? Sure. It is next Tuesday. It's a little loud. Can you turn it down? Um, how about this? It's next Tuesday, November 10th. And here's the thing. Todd and I go out and we do a lot of presentations. We talk to a lot of people. We have our groups and all that kind of stuff. People tell us, please do a class about how to talk to your kids about sex. And we're like, okay, you know, we haven't been able to get it together. Well, now we got to go. Let's get real serious. We're doing it. And we need you, or we don't need you. We would like you to well, come. And a lot of our audience does not live anywhere near True. us. So for those of you who don't live near us, all we ask you to do is have conversations with your kids about sex. That's age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, use this as a reminder, saying it's not a one-time conversation. It's an ongoing discussion. Right. And we have a bunch of shows um, already in our archives about talking to your kids about sex. And it's not the class that we're doing next week. It's not just about here's what you say. Here's how you do it. Blah, blah, blah. It's about why it's important, because this has to come from you in a instinctual, intuitive manner. Meaning that if you're just like, I'm going to do this because Kathy and Todd told me to, and I'm going to say exactly what they say, then you're missing the whole point of having open communication in your home. Because what your children need is for you to be open and available to questions, not for you to have perfect answers. That's the big difference. So what we're talking about next week, November 10th, um, it's at Fitz's Spare Keys, 7 p.m. And the reason why we're having it at a bar is so you can come as a date, like have, have a, a glass date of wine. and have a glass of wine chill and chill. Out. You know, having a class at a bar is not really typical, but we're trying to create an environment where people don't feel threatened, threatened or overwhelmed. So this is not just for women. This is not just for moms. This is for moms and dads. Todd and I are teaching together. <clears throat> My go- buddy Mike Rosen signed up. He's a guy. Good. Uh, go to zenparentingradio.com. Click yep. events. It's right there. It's all there. Um, let's get real serious. Let's get real, real. <laughs> I found myself singing that I the other day and it bothered real. me. Olivia Newton John. But it isn't Olivia Newton John. Doesn't yeah, really it's... sound like let's get What about musical. the movie? When's okay. that? So the hunting ground, not the hunting game, the hunting ground is next when or no, a week from next Wednesday. So November eighteenth. And that is at York Theater here in Elmhurst also. So for our faraway listeners, again, that this is for people local, Chicagoland, um, 7 p.m. And uh, It's a documentary on uh, the... Um, sexual assault on college campuses. Yes, thank you. And But really, it's very similar to the talk we're having next Tuesday. It's about talking about sexuality. It's about making this an open discussion so all these things don't happen... Um, in the in the dark, and I mean that literally, and yeah. you know, so we don't have all these secrets and all these lies and all of this inability to discuss and to face the truth. Like if we can shed some light on all of this, then a lot of our problems when it comes to sexuality and sex will start to dissipate. We have three partners on our show, but I decided, in addition to our partners, this uh, podcast is going to be brought to you by Movie Lines from Anchorman. Oh boy! Oh, it's a deep burn. Oh, it's so deep. Ah. Oh, I could barely lift my right arm because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting. I did over a thousand. 
You have your ubulus muscle that connects to the upper dorsimus. <laughs> so, anyways. Your um, ubulus. So, Kathy's bringing uh, her A game for today's podcast, and I'm going to listen and respond. Are you bringing your B game? No, my A game. Good. I'm bringing my A game on the Anchorman lines, too. So, here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, criticism. Sweetie, don't talk about what we're going to talk about. I just criticized you. Yes. Um, just... Talk. talk about it. That's what you always would say to me. Oh, good. Okay. okay. So I'm I'm mirroring mirroring back to you. Don't tell people what we're going to talk about. Just do it. Just talk about criticism. It. Yeah. What, what's the deal with criticism? Yeah. Why do people criticize? Well, let's talk about instead because we can't control other people. No. And their desire or need to criticize. Let's talk about what we can do because when we are criticized we tend to feel as if everything that's said is true, correct? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Todd, if I was to tell you 10 things and one of them was a criticism and nine of them were positive things, what would you remember? I would probably remember the one negative thing. And it kind of reminds me of when we talk to our kids about grades and they come home with all A's and a C mm -hmm. and the kid will say, and, you're, and you'll say, what happened? What happened here? And, you know, there's that. And it's also about... Because we're in this age of technology and, you know, the social interaction that we do, um, we don't have to go out looking for negative things about ourselves either. Um, I think that especially if you are a writer or a blogger or you are um, someone who maybe even, you know, these days it doesn't even matter if you're a writer. If you can put a comment on Facebook or on social networking or a picture on Instagram, it's already out there as something that can potentially be criticized, right? So you don't even have to do this as your job. Whenever you do anything, whether it's your, if you work in an office, right? You if, if you make a move and you do something maybe a little bit risky, you're putting yourself out there to be ready to be criticized. That's right. And I was really moved by something. The reason that Todd said we were going to talk about Liz Gilbert, who is the author of uh, Eat, Pray, Love, and also The Signature of All Things, and Big Magic, which just came out, um, which is wonderful, um, where she talks a lot about creativity. Um, I was moved by something she wrote, uh, I think, last week on her Facebook page about criticism. And she was talking about specifically about women. I'm going to, I'm, even though this is for women and men, I want to, because it's coming from me, I want to talk about how this affects women. Okay. And she was talking about that we always have a choice. We either are going to put ourselves out there or we aren't. And if you're going to put yourself out there, if it be through your work or if it be with, with your opinion, or if it be with maybe something you've drawn or something creative or whatever it may be. You have already put yourself out there for people to make a decision about whether they like it or not. They can judge it. Your other decision is you can say nothing, you can do nothing. Be quiet. And you can just be quiet and yeah. stand back. Get small. And why that is a challenge and a problem is because there are women around the world who really are forced by government and by terrorism to stay quiet. Yeah, they have uh, logical, practical reasons to shut up. They they have life or death reasons. Yes, right. And we in this western world have freedom to say who we are, what we can do, what we believe, and it's not about overpowering other people either. This is not about power and being and having the only opinion or making everyone think like us. It's just about a sharing of who you are. Would you go as far as to say that we have an obligation to do such a thing to the uh, oppressed women out there on the other side of the globe who can't say it, that we are ob that you as a woman are obligated to step outside your comfort zone and put yourself out there in a way that is scary? I would use the word responsibility rather than obligation, because obligation sounds like, um, and again, just me being a wordy person, obligation sounds like, oh, it's something I have to do. Responsibility sounds like something that I have the opportunity to do. And the responsibility is not just to women across the globe, even though that's part of it. It's to our children. Mm -hmm. It's to our sons and daughters. It's to our partner. It's to the people that we work with. It's to anybody that we come into um, uh, into connection with. Right. Because it's our responsibility to say who we are and be who we are. Because if we want to teach that or if we want that for the world, mm -hmm. then we have to demonstrate it ourselves. But I wanted to read something that uh, that Liz Gilbert wrote. 
She said, for tens of thousands of years, women were forced to remain voiceless. And even today, millions of women across the world are voiceless still. If you are lucky enough to live in a moment of history and in an open society where you, as a female, can actually express yourself, don't waste that tremendous good fortune by remaining silent just because you're afraid somebody might hurt your feelings with their reaction to your presence, your opinion, your creativity, or your offering. It is a tragedy to not have a voice at all, but it's a crime to have a voice and then never use it. By silencing yourself all by yourself out of fear, do not become your own oppressor, okay? And that line, do not become your own oppressor, I think for women and men is vitally important for us to take in because sometimes we do something so amazing, if it be something we create or an idea that we have or something that we know is important to do, and we stop ourselves mm -hmm. because we have a voice in our head that says, people will criticize me. I don't want to deal with it. Um, I don't want to, I can't handle the reaction. And that nothing has even happened yet. And then we oppress ourselves. Well, what's what I was going to say is it's interesting how we could, you know, the only thing at risk when we write a blog that might be controversial is our feelings might get hurt. Right. And yet our brain, our psyche, builds it up into something that's life or death. And, and Todd, to, to go off of that, there is a lot of us, in, and I'm one of these people, and you may be too, um, I'm not sure, but that when I was little, that fear of not being heard, seen, um, the fear of being criticized, it did feel like life or death to mm -hmm. me. That to not be like everyone else or to be somehow different, it did feel like death, okay? It, and our, your children are kind of in that world right now where yeah. not feeling okay about who they are does feel life and death. And I don't mean it, again, I don't mean literally, I mean the feeling. Well, like, like you know, my kid forgets their clarinet on the way to school and they act as, as if it's a huge deal. Correct. And they will exact whatever. No, I'm, they don't exaggerate. They're right. acting out how they feel. From my perspective, right. I'd be like, it's no big deal. But in their world, it is a huge deal. Correct. That in their world, in what they, what their world looks like, it is, it does affect them. It embarrasses them or it makes them feel like they dropped the ball or they don't want to disappoint their teacher. And, you know, and again, I know you corrected yourself, Todd, but I'm glad you said exaggerated because as adults, we think they're exaggerating, Yeah. but they're not. That is exactly how they feel. Because that's their perception. Exactly. Which is their truth. In the, Exactly. Beautiful. In this space and time, that is their perception. Why I want to bring that up is we, again, as everybody who listens to this show knows, we carry that feeling from childhood into adulthood, and it shows up differently, often subconsciously. We're putting out a post on Facebook or writing a blog or making a comment in a meeting. We feel that if it gets rejected, it's life or death, and we can't even acknowledge why it is. Well, you know? and, I, and, and maybe this is going down the wrong road, but... Just because, let's just say I do a presentation, I put myself out there and it kind of sucks. Um, sometimes we as human beings identify like, oh, well, that didn't go well. I feel like you feel very shameful and bad about what it is you, who you are versus what you did. So right. in other words, we, we need a, some perspective, we need a gut check time on, you know, just because you put yourself out there and fail doesn't mean that you're a failure. Well, and you just use the word shame. Again, um, many of you know this already, but guilt and shame are two different things or feeling rejection and shame are, are two different things. Meaning shame is when someone rejects something you did and you then say, I am, so, I, they rejected me Yeah. versus the thing, maybe the idea you brought to the meeting was rejected, but you personally were not rejected. My idea sucked versus I suck. Exactly. So that's the differentiation between like guilt or, or somebody criticizing you. The idea isn't going to work or that, that piece wasn't well written versus you are not good enough. Mm -hmm. But we internalize criticism and rejection as we right. are not good enough. Right. And so that's, and, and the only way to... Um, work through this is practice. You know, again, as we said, the only way to be able to put yourself out there and learn from it is to put yourself out there and learn from it. And this is going to mean something different to everybody because I'm hoping everybody is listening to us and thinking of their own experience of when they didn't do something. Yeah. 
you know, it you could, were tempted to do something, but you didn't have the guts to follow through with it. If it be a post, if it be something you wish you would have said to your child this morning, if it be um, something that you wish you would have shared with your significant other a week ago that you're still mad about, you know, you, you're, you don't want the, to be rejected or you don't want to disappoint them. So you're not even saying it. Um, it's the, the idea that you didn't bring up in the business meeting and then somebody else brought it up and got credit. I have a real world example that just happened to me on Saturday. Let's hear it. Um, I am a landlord and, um, I went to the buildings and I told you this and I heard through the door that my one tenant was verbally abusing his wife Mm. and I sat in the car, I got back in the car and like, I should just tell him that this isn't okay or that I heard you and this is not the type of atmosphere I want in my buildings, but I got scared and I didn't do anything. Right. Like my brain's more like, um, it's none of my business. You know, you can always justify it or make excuses of why you shouldn't do something. Mm -hmm. But I have, uh, you know, I'm being self-critical here. I feel like I should have said something to him. What if, because I'm thinking about the words that, because what you just said, that would be challenging because then you're going in and asking this person to change their behavior. Yes. What if instead, as the landlord, and again, I'm saying what if, this is already past, yeah. but for future, yeah. you knocked on the door and say, and you said, I just want to make sure everything was okay in here because I'm hearing you guys out in the hallway and I just want to make sure everyone's safe. Mm. That's very different because yeah. if you go and in- I, I'm, And I'm more, I think your suggestion is better than mine, but my natural reaction would be, dude, Cut it out. But and that's a masculine I'm gonna go it's after. It's very and, and that's my default response. Correct. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's my default response is you know, I hear a woman being and I get triggered because I Were you witnessed that as a, a child? lot of that growing mm-hmm. up. So anyways, that's one example. Well, and that's a very good one and thank you for sharing it because like you said, not only did that experience leave you feeling powerless, but it triggered re triggered something you felt in childhood. Well that's the powerless. thing. I, I am powerful now. Like I'm no longer a seven-year-old kid and I can speak up. And the worst case, what happens? He gets mad at me. Big whoop. I'd rather he can get mad at me than his wife. Well, honey, you're, you're, again, this is interesting having this conversation because no, that's not the worst thing that can happen. Well, he can, he can take it out on his wife. He can take it out on you. Oh, you're putting yourself in a position to be not just criticized like, ooh, you know, mister, don't knock on my door, but that could be dangerous. So instead of going after the people, again, think about everything we talk about on the show, how we treat children, how we respond to our children, how we respond to a person at work. We've got to do that in that situation too. We don't knock on the door and go after them so they become defensive. Mm-hmm. We knock on the door and say, how can I support you? It's the same thing. You may you may. Right. I would need different language because if I said something like that, he'd be like, what are you talking about, dude? But go back to the thing I said before. You knock on the door and say, I just walked Making by. Sure everybody's I can safe. hear you guys. I just want, I'm the landlord here. I want to make sure everybody's okay here. Yeah. And that isn't putting him on the spot. That is a, that is a real moment of what you are doing right now, I am hearing. Right. But truthfully, Todd, you can't stop him from being who he is. No, I can't. Although I want to. I know. And I hear that. It, it's just that I think the whole masculine model of I'm going to go after this person and tell them how bad they are and go, you know, it's that, uh, it's an overpowering thing. Well, I, I know, but to, you know, and I'm, I, I didn't plan on talking about this, but there's also this uh, tendency towards protecting people who can't protect themselves. Correct. And this is a bully bullying somebody. Correct. But what we know about bullies is that they are struggling too. Yes. What I mean is take everything you know when it comes to raising a child or when it comes to being in partnership with me and you have to use it with with everybody. Mm-hmm. Because thing, oh, last night, you guys, uh, Brian Stevenson was on uh, Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. And so Todd and I watched it and he was amazing and I'm sh- hopefully- He's made- in the building! And I hope many of you were able to see him. If not, they'll replay it next Sunday morning at 9 or 10 a.m. But his point is even about the people that we think are so negative in our society, and he talks about the incarcerated, and he talks about the people who have made some huge mistakes or the people who are abusing women, or that there is something in them that we are missing. And because I know that 
you are not a police officer. You're not going to go to that door and arrest this guy. You're just a citizen. Right. So you have to confront that situation, not with a sense I'm going to overpower you and tell you why you're wrong, but a sense of compassion for both of them. Yeah. And that's not easy. Correct. And, um, and I, in that situation, would not feel able to knock on the door mm-hmm. because that there is a safety issue there. Well, for you, not Correct. for me. Why don't you think so? Well, I know the guy. Okay. I know his physical capabilities. Okay. And they aren't good? Well, I just, you know, you kind of size somebody up. Right. I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Well, and that's that's different. Um, but I don't think he's a gun owner. There's no reason. He's, it's weird. He's a nice guy. Yeah. You know? Right. It's weird. Well, and that's the thing. A lot of times what we present on the surface is not always what's going on underneath, mm-hmm. right? You know, a lot of times what's going on in someone's home, you know, you drive, like we live in a really nice uh, suburb of Chicago, and sometimes you drive down a street and the homes are just beautiful and the lawn is so well manicured and everything is so perfect. Mm-hmm. And you have that thought to yourself like, is everything on the outside really what's going on on the inside? I remember uh, Wayne Dyer rest in peace, uh, talked about how when he drives around neighborhoods, he wants to meet the people whose like lawn is completely unkept. Yeah. Like those, those are the interesting people to <laughs> yeah. me. Right. Um, so anyways, can I talk about one of our partners? Sure. Just because Go I ahead. need to talk about three of Dr. Uh, Kelly from the tree of life chiropractic care. She's doing a women wine and wellness thing <clears throat> on Thursday, November 12th at six 30. Feel good on the inside. Look good on the outside. Uh, it's an evening dedicated to celebration of women. So you can go to chirotree.com and check that out. That's Dr. Kelly. And then I also want to play my next one. Ron, ah! wh- where are you? Ah, I'm in a glass case of emotion. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> because that whole scene of him in that phone booth is hilarious. Milk was a bad choice. Milk <laughs> was a bad choice. And Jack Black, he's in that movie. Yeah, he is. Um, so can I, with uh, criticism, can I move to the next thing when it comes to criticism? Something that I thought was really interesting and fun um, that I just shared with Todd before we started. And that is about, and it just so happens that I took this off of Liz Gilbert's page also. She's like on fire this week with this stuff. Um, But she was talking about a cartoonist named Linda Berry. And Linda Berry obviously is a cartoonist, has been drawing her whole life. And she said that when a non-artist starts drawing again, Meaning that many of us st- were drawing when so we were So let's talk young. about me because I'm a non-artist. Okay, so you're a non-artist. So she basically has a theory that many of us stop dry, uh, drawing at a specific age in our lives. And it's usually at the moment we were told that we weren't good at drawing. Right. Or when we recognized that someone was better. Um, you know, we just weren't good at it. And Linda Berry says that when a non-artist like you or like me starts drawing again, the drawings will look like they were made by a child the exact same age as the person was when he or she stopped drawing. And that's interesting, but also very commonsensical. Of course, you're not going to be any better because you haven't practiced since you were seven years old. Yes, but it also is so cool in the recognition of that because then when you start drawing, you really are taken back to that self in that time, Yeah, which is why sometimes we throw down our pencil and say, I could never draw yeah. because we don't want to refeel those feelings. In other words, even if it's been 20, 30, 40 years, you pick right up where you left off, which is not a terrible thing, but a beautiful thing. And this is Linda Berry's language, as if your hand has been waiting for you the mm. whole time. It's pretty cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And like I said, I, I was selfishly in gratitude for that because one of my tribe men's groups that we just did a few months ago, we all did paintings. And, and you know what ended up happening afterwards? Mm. You guys probably looked around and decided this is good. This isn't, I don't know that for a fact. Cause I wasn't actually, there. we had, we, we spent 20 seconds of silence with each man. So like we had all the paintings on the walls around the room uh-huh. and you were standing in front of one person's painting Okay, and you spent like 10 seconds there in silence and we're all kind of lined up around the room. And then you'd look at, then you'd switch to one painting to the right. You do that for 10 seconds. So we did that. So everybody got to soak in everybody else's painting. And then we were very specific in that this is a place of support, non-criticism, non-judgment. And it's funny, we were not judging each other. We, we were, were judging, judging ourselves. ourselves. I, I, and we were saying mine isn't as good as so-and-so's yes, or look at so-and-so's. Yes. We deflect ours. Yes. So we- Well, we kind of said- we kind of said which one of these guys is the best. And there was a guy named Brian and his was beautiful. And he thought he thought his was a piece of garbage. And at, the rest of us kind of decided that his was the, the most artful. 
Interesting. And and I would say, and like you said, the most artful meaning you can tell that maybe there was some innate talent yeah. um, or maybe that he'd been drawing longer than some of you. But that's, if we can put a little more reverence mm-hmm. around creativity and artistic ability, then you wouldn't even ask the question, whose is the best? Well, and the guy who was next to him, Rick, his, his was next and he started painting and then he looked to his neighbor in the middle of it. He's like, oh my God, mine is horrible. So he tore his up and started over again Aww. because he was so mad that his was not as good as Brian's. And that's the problem. And mm-hmm. that's what we do. That's what this whole thing, that's why we're talking about criticism on this show is because what happened to Rick in that moment, nobody criticized him. He oppressed himself. Right. Because if he understood that when he picked up that paintbrush or that pencil, that what he was going to draw was a reflection of when he stopped. Yeah. So his painting or his picture is going to be his nine-year-old self or his 10-year-old self. Right then he wouldn't even try and compare that yeah. that nine-year-old or 10-year-old has every right to be out in the world. Well, and it's funny how we all kind of go back into child when we're doing something childlike. Yes. It's pretty cool. And that we get, and that's, that's what's so important about this. And that can there be, um, and I'm going to use Linda Berry's language again, there's something beautiful in the lines made by people who stopped drawing a long time ago. And there is something curious about how scared they are when they are asked to draw. What usually happens in a kind of involuntary laughing that sounds like the laughing of people who are about to enter a haunted house. The room feels like it's on fire. Like, why are you making me do this? You know, we automatically go into... So for anybody who's like, oh, my inner child doesn't affect me, or what are you talking about, inner child? Here's a thing for you to do to, to reflect on how that inner child feels about their own creative impulses. Right. The artists out there who um, were all artists, first of all, but the people who continued being artists past nine or 10, they do it really naturally and instinctually. We were actually talking to um, uh, our friend, we were with our friend Jerry O'Keefe this weekend, and he's a singer and songwriter. And you asked him, do you ever feel really nervous before you start, you know, a gig? And he he's like, it's not that I don't care what people think I do. And but he said, I it's so natural to me now. Mm-hmm. I just go up there and I sing my songs. Yeah. He's got a muscle mm-hmm. for his creativity. Right. And he no longer, he's so at peace with it, he doesn't look outside of himself. Yeah, he knows what he's sure doing. He, he has knows, confidence in him. And, exactly. Yeah, instead of looking for validation from the audience. Yes. Now, I'm sure he would admit that if the audience goes crazy and loves it, his ego is stroked. But what he's saying, his happiness is not predicated upon whether or not the audience goes nuts or if they all walk out the door the minute he starts playing. His decision to sing is not based on the reaction he's going to get. But to your point, his if you get an awesome reaction, yeah, of you're course a it human feels being, good. Of course. And you can enjoy that. We talked about that, I think, on a, a show a week or two ago about, you know, when you are achieving, when you are, remember achievement? I couldn't come up with that word. Was No, that wasn't it. Was no, it achievement? No, it was a different one. We're ambition. Ambitious. <laughs> ambitious. Ambition. When you are ambitious or you are achieving, that's great. When you have a success, celebrate it. Yeah. it to be self-aware and to be Zen doesn't mean you don't care about those things. That's living. That's right. being alive. But behind it is is the only reason you're doing it for that, or is that the icing? Right. That's the the telltale. Yeah. You know. Um, so again, I'm going to finish again. Uh, with Linda Berry, because you're hurtling back in time when you're drawing or writing or being creative and reconnecting with some much, much older version of self, you are remembering what it felt like to be nine years old or 10 years old, the fear and the excitement and the shame and the joy of childhood. You're giving yourself permission to feel things you haven't felt in ages. You're picking up the line just where you left off five decades ago and I, or however many decades ago. And I find that not just in drawing or writing, but in your decision to speak out, you also kind of are taken back in time of when you stop speaking out. And I want to share that, but it looks like you have something no, to no, say. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, okay. Were you going to share something? No. Well, I was going to say that I remember when I made a decision to stop talking. Mm. Now, I also know that something happened that I can't really explain around nine or 10, meaning there was no like trauma or anything. I just know that there was some natural or unnatural. You thought it was safer to shut up. I just, I just changed. And I, and I, and that's why I work with girls who are that age because that was so immense in me. But I also remember this. I remember vividly in eighth grade, I'd gotten in a lot of trouble in seventh grade and had 
a lot of issues with, you know, I was getting in trouble. And in eighth grade, I made a decision one day to go to school and I decided to never swear again. I decided to be nice to everybody. And I decided to just clean up my act, Mm. like in every way possible. I remember the day. I remember being like, got my bag on. I am doing this. And I did it. And I... I still have a lot of that in me now. And so many people listening would would think, well, that's great, right? That's all good. It is in some ways, and maybe I needed to do that then. But do you guys understand that as a human being in the world, I can't always be nice? Yeah. And that swearing is sometimes the best form of releasing something? So you're saying that this decision you made sounds all pleasant and great, but in the end, it restricts you from fully realizing everything that's going on in your life. It's a, it's what I did is to, in, in an effort to clean up my act, I put on a facade. Ah, Inauthenticity. Inauthenticity. And even though that was a huge piece of me, I wasn't like, oh, I'm completely inauthentic here, but I had shut down pieces of myself in an effort to just stay out of trouble, you know, quote unquote trouble. And while, again, in that moment, I think that was a really good choice for me, like I don't regret that choice, as I got older, I had to start kind of releasing some of those masks yeah. and start letting myself be a full human being again. Well, just because you decided something when you were 10 or last week or last year doesn't mean you can't redecide something else. But the key is, is you have to be self-aware enough to know that you did that in the first place. Right. Because if you don't look back in time and look back at your own your own choices and and acknowledge them from a place of compassion instead of judgment, I understand why I did that. And I understand it worked then but then acknowledging that it doesn't work now. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to be nice to people. Right. It means that I, I was never unkind to people ever, but I, but I did it over the top. Right. I people pleased. Right. I said, I'm going to put you above me. And that doesn't work at, at 20, 30, 40, yeah. 50, and, and so on. So I've had to really work through that. And there's a great degree of fear because listen to the, you know, think about the story I just told you. I started doing that because I was getting in a lot of trouble. Right. So if I start speaking out- Then you're getting more trouble. I might get in trouble. That's the old history. Parent, that's, that's I was going to say parenting from the past, but that's living your life in the past. That is staying stuck in that- Yeah. Narrative. Right. And what I realize now is now I'm an adult and I can parent myself. That's right. So if I do get into quote unquote trouble, that trouble to me means something like criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, before you'd get uh, the police would come get you at the park because right. you weren't doing it. Right. Now that trouble looks like someone disagreeing, yeah. someone criticizing me, somebody pushing back and saying, you're wrong, yeah. um, somebody being angry with me. And those make me feel like I'm getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that's reality. Yeah. And the feeling you get is probably is the same feeling that, that got you got when you childhood. got, yes. Right. Exactly. So when we were talking before about life or death, that did feel like life or death mm-hmm. when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I, I was able to turn it around, but I didn't fully acknowledge. And I used to use the word heal, but you know what, Todd? I don't know if we ever fully heal these things where they just go away. Well, it, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm all big into Jeff Foster, but, you know, it's not about healing because healing is a destination. Like, I need to get through this so I can become free. What you do is you embrace the fact that you have this wound. Exactly. And you hold space for it. Yes. Instead of, I just need to get past this. And then. Right. And then. Right. Because I think I spent a lot of time, and I know you have too, thinking, oh my gosh, why am I still doing this? This should be healed by now. We actually played a Jeff Foster clip about- By now. By now. By now, now I should be healed. There is no by now. There is no by now. Because the truth is, I carry all of this with me, and I have to be cognizant of my choices. And why I don't put something out there in the world, is it based on my seventh grade self or is it based on me in present time? So why don't we invite the listeners to just think of a story, like what are they afraid of right now? Like what is their version of trouble? What does that look like? And then try to draw back into your childhood and think about what trouble sounded like or felt like when you were eight or nine or 10 years old and just see if you can... Uh, see any similarities in the feelings, not not the logic, but the uh, how you feel as a forty year old person or a fifty year old person or a thirty year old person, and see if it's same. It feels the same as if you were getting in trouble from your parents when you were eight years old or something. And like I'll that. give you an example. I have a lot of women who talk to me about issues in their marriage. You know, I'm struggling with my marriage. I'm struggling with you know my my husband, um, and 
I will say, you know, what what does he say um, when you share these things with him? And and a lot of times the woman will say, I don't. Mm. And I will ask why. And they'll say, well, I just don't want to disappoint him or I don't want to make him angry or I don't want to deal with it. And I can see or what I'm hearing is that that feeling of disappointing someone yeah. did not start in this marriage. Yeah. That is from way back when. And you the, the feeling that you're having is the fear is an old thing. Right. And I'm not saying that that uh, the significant other wouldn't get angry or feel threatened or defensive. I'm not saying that the reaction is always going to be perfect. Right. But what I'm saying is you're not in present time for the reaction. Right. You, you need are, to be there in order to invite whatever happens. Exactly. And I, you know, the people pleasing thing uh, between you and I, I always feel scared and am worried that sh- that you will be defensive um, or worried that something I say will offend you so much when that's not my intention. But the pain of not saying it is, is greater, greater than, than the pain of of well, and that with requires it. a partner that has a little bit of patience. I don't know who I was listening to last week, but it was, you know, in order for you know, if, if there is trouble, like if you have something to vent to your partner, and uh, one of you two needs to be in a good space to receive that because if 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 you happen to be saying well I don't feel supported this week cuz you traveled and then you went out with your friends or whatever and I if I'm in a bad place at that moment I'm going to fire back at you correct so it's kind of like the metaphor that the guy used was riding your bike downhill or uphill when 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 you and your loved one are getting along you're riding your bike downhill it's easy not it requires no work and that's a wonderful place to be but when there's work when some when somebody's saying something to me. If you're saying something to me that I potentially could be defensive by, then I need to know. Okay, this is when I'm going to show up as a husband and not judge what you're saying to me. And that's a lot of work. That's riding your bike uphill, but we're still going somewhere together. And the other piece of that work, as far as riding the bike, is you. Or I'll just talk about myself. When I am bringing this up. I have to be thoughtful about my language and what I really feel about it. Because when I am feeling overwhelmed, my natural response is to think that somehow Todd should be making me feel not overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because he is my partner. He's the person I live with. So when I am feeling stressed, it somehow becomes his fault and it's not. And that's what you say to me. This is not about you. This is not your fault. But here's the reasons why I'm feeling sad. And you list like three things, like you're just not around, you're not available. Well, at the same time, you're saying it's not your fault. And my logical brain's like, what the heck are you talking about? You're saying it's not my fault, but then you're listing these things that I'm not doing to help you. And it's very confusing. Right. Is it confusing or is it difficult to hear? Very difficult to hear. Okay. Because confusing means you don't understand. Well, it's also confusing. Like, think about it. Like my logical brain says, this isn't about you, but then it comes on the heels of saying, you're not around. You haven't been here. Well, and I think the whole idea of it's not about you means uh, what I'm saying is this, I understand that everything I'm telling you and all the feelings I'm having are not your fault. Yes. But here's what I am recognizing that's happening. Right. These are some things that have stimulated this inside of me. Exactly. Is that these are the issues that I'm dealing with is I feel alone because you're literally not home. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it's your fault. I blame you for everything, but can you see why I feel alone and not, and me in the moment telling you that, knowing that it's really not all about you? Well, and I will give you, I'll give the listeners, the female listeners, a little more insight um, about us men. And this is a total generalization, but I think there's some truth to it. I think women are a little bit better at receiving quote unquote criticism. And I think as men, we struggle with it. We don't like being told what to do. We don't ask for directions when we're lost, like that type of stuff. You sometimes, I'm biting my nails and I'm biting my nails like in your ear or somewhere close by. And like, you'll, you'll take my hand and you like push it aside. And it's not because I should stop biting my nails. It's because I'm annoying you in that moment because my nail biting is annoying you. And even in that moment, I've shared this with you, when you like push my hand down, there is this primal, macho, masculine thing saying, don't tell me what to do. Right. And the only reason you're telling me what to do is because I'm in your space and I'm annoying you. If I'm on the other side of the room, you don't say anything. But I think a lot of women will 
try to change their husband or criticize their husband for their own benefit or for the husband's benefit. And it's just really tough to hear as a man. And I just think it's important that the women know that. So how you do it, what energy you bring to that situation is huge. Correct. Timing, um, you know, not during the last game of the World Series. Right. Um, also, um, when you are not both so exhausted that you can't see straight and how it's presented and taking responsibility for your pieces. Yes. What I always try and do, I do this with my children too, is take responsibility for my pieces up front. And yeah, they, up front. Up front. Yeah. Like, here's what I didn't share with you. You know, like, um, for example, say one of my daughters came home late because this has happened in the past. And and I'm like, it's dark. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you're yeah. supposed to be home. And they'll they'll say, you know, I, you know, I didn't know or it didn't seem dark. And I, I will say, okay, I will take responsibility for the fact that I wasn't more literal mm-hmm. about what time you should be home. Yeah. But now I would like you to recognize what dark means. Yeah. Take a look so, outside. Exactly. So it's like, I will take my piece, you take your piece and let's carry this together. Exactly. Because a lot of times we are not self-aware enough where we point our finger and say, this is nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with you and you're screwing everything up. And if you can approach it from the energy that you just stated is critical. Well, and I want to share that uh, one of the books I'm reading, I'm reading too many books right now. My brain is kind of fried. But one of them that I'm enjoying is um, Esther Perel's book. It's called Mating in Captivity. And I saw her at a conference a few weeks ago. And she talks about um, intimacy and what intimacy means now. And she she breaks down the word intimacy and says it's into me see. So what we think intimacy now is, is that you need to see inside me mm. and know everything I want. Right. And what we do is we put that on our partners and on our children, and we decide that they are the ones who should make us feel good all the time. And that is way too much pressure. Not only does that take us off the hook and make us believe that somehow our happiness is outside of ourselves, but it also takes away the idea of having a village for your life, yeah. is that Todd is my most important person and my favorite person, my best friend. But if I depended on Todd for absolutely every single little thing, I'm telling you, it's, I, I have a visual, he, he would wear down. He would be I, like, I, I would be, I would suffocate. He would suffocate because I need other people in your life. I need my work. Yeah. I need girlfriends. Yeah. I need my my parents and my sister, you know, my best friends. I need my own books and authors, my, you know, teachers that I follow. And that will sustain me so I can show up for a real intimate relationship with you. Right. Do you see what I mean? I do. But the whole idea of intimacy and thinking that everything I feel is your fault. Yeah. That is that's not working. Right. So um, can we sure, um, go ahead? A few things. One is our second partner is Dr. John Kelly. Um, his he's a dentist. His website is chicagodentistonline.com. And one thing that he does that I haven't shared on the show is he fits your kids for performance mouth guards, which makes your kids athletic talent, ability on the field, on the court, stronger, faster, better. I, he actually did a test with me in his office and it's pretty cool. And isn't like Drew Brees one of his yeah, clients? Yeah, he's got a picture of Drew Brees in his office. So yeah, he's pretty cool. So performance mouth guards, uh, John Kelly, and the website is um, chicagodentistonline.com. And I do want to play a preview of the second part of our John Duffy interview. Okay. Are you okay with that? It's about sure. a minute. And will I have time to finish up this criticism We're thing? We're at 43 minutes. Okay, so. play that and I'll finish All with right. this. So this is part two of an interview that we did. Part one posted last Friday. The second part of the interview will happen this Friday. And this is a minute from John Duffy. And we're talking about sexual assault and things like that as it relates to our uh, screening. I wanted to make sure I said that because as Todd and I have been promoting this this documentary screening, um, there's been a lot of people saying, yeah, I have girls, so I'm going to you know bring them or I'm going to be there. And I'm like, I want the fathers and the mothers of the boys there oh, too. yeah. Because this is a conversation, not only that, you're, that boys are sexually assaulted, but for the girls who are being... I am sick these are and gir- tired right. of us having conversations about how to protect our daughters. That's all we have a conversation about. You mean telling the daughters how to protect themselves. Yes. Yes. Why aren't we having a conversation about how to educate our boys and explain and and give them the love that they need so they don't think that overpowering a woman is any step towards manhood? It's it's such a really wildly important point, right? Because, Because when we're telling our daughters how to protect themselves, 
the problem's already happening, right? You know what I mean? So we're not preventing anything, really. We're just playing defense, right? Yeah. And and um, if we can get to these boys, and right, uh, that's exactly right, Todd. Rec- empower them, because these are powerless boys, and you know, they're just like stealing power where they can in the most heinous way. Um, but if we empower them at, when they're young, then we don't have to, you know, warn our daughters. I, I um, That's Dr. Duffy. Yes, it's such, again, the, if you, hopefully you guys listened to the first part last week, and um, this part is just as strong and powerful, so give um, it a listen. So finish up the... Uh... So I want to finish up about criticism, because one thing that people say when I talk about criticism in my talks or write about it is they will say, but if you don't listen to criticism, how do you get better? And keeping, and I'm going to use, um, because I thought this was really beautiful, again, Liz Gilbert's language, Um It is my own job to stay honest as an artist, a person, a worker. It is not the job of the critic to keep me honest. The critic doesn't work for me. The critic works for maybe the business, the newspaper, whoever is criticizing. The critic has her or his own responsibility to keep herself or himself honest, but it, it is not a requirement for them to help me out or be a midwife to my life or career or to have my best interests at heart. And here's the key. You can listen to negative criticism, and this is me talking again. Um, You can, but again, using Brene Brown's language, listen to the people who have earned the right to give you the criticism. There aren't a ton of them, but who they are, it's they're precious few, but they're the closest and most trusted family members, friends, colleagues. And these are the questions that you need to ask before you receive this criticism from people. Do I trust this person's opinion and taste? Do I trust that you understand what I'm trying to do? And so you'll help me improve it from what I'm trying to do. Do I trust that you have my best interests at heart, that there's no dark ulterior motive, no hidden agenda? And do I trust that you can offer your criticism with a fundamental spirit of gentleness? without needing to mortally wound me because we have all those friends who claim to be so brutally honest and they are just sometimes brutal. Mm -hmm. They're not, they'll say I'm being brutally honest and somehow we take their opinion. People use that as a crutch to put their own agenda ahead of whoever they're with. Don't volunteer to be brutalized. Yeah. Don't self-oppress and then put yourself in a position where people are going to brutally criticize you. I know there are certain people, including you, Todd, and a few of my friends and definitely my family, where when I tell them something because they know me and understand me, they will point out things that I'm missing rather than tell me why what I'm doing won't work. And those are the people you want to seek out. So it's not about not hearing criticism. It's about not seeking it from people who don't have your best interest at heart. Yeah. Okay? I'm totally with you. So that's good advice. Um, So... Um, I we're gonna close the show with Kathy Richardson in just a second. Okay, and you're gonna explain who that, that is. Up, yeah. But first, we need to do one more um, Anchorman line. <laughs> Brick, are you just looking at things in the office and saying that you love them? I love lamp. Do you really love the lamp, or are you just saying it because you saw it? I love lamp. I love lamp. He loves lamp. Todd and I just say that to each other sometimes. Um, iTunes reviews. Um, Smiles Rock said that she's so grateful, or he, I don't know, I didn't read it. Shame on me for not reading it. I think it's a woman. Um, She's so grateful for our podcast. So thank thank you, you, Smiles Rock. Thank you. That's a good handle, Smiles Rock. I like that. Um, And then uh, what else? Do you have anything else specific you want to promote? I mean, we're going to do that end promotion. I would just say come to our, you know, for for you local people who listen to this show, come to our talk about talking to your kids about sex. Um, Make it a date night. Have a drink before we start talking to chill yourself out if you need to. This is so vitally important. It's a big piece of what... I know is important in the world. And I go into schools and I talk to uh, kids about sex and I talk to the parents about sexuality so they can do it at home. This is vitally important, um, not just to me, but I believe it changes our relationships with our kids. And we're going to be there, you and me. You and me. Um, it's going to be good. Yep. I felt like you had a good tournament of bad yesterday. I did, but I don't remember what it was. It was a really good one. I know. Maybe next week. You said to me, that's a tournament of bad, and I said it so is. But let me say instead, to switch gears, um, so our friend Kathy Richardson, who is an amazing artist who happens to be based in Chicago and lives in our town, um, she is going to be singing at our Zen Parenting Radio uh, Let's Get Real conference, which we're so honored to have her. And so Todd and I see her sing live a lot. Um, 
And she sings this song. She's been singing it now for about four or five months, maybe longer, and it's called What I Am. Mm -hmm. And every time she sings it afterwards, I always tell her, gosh, I love that song. I want that song. And she's been telling me all along, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out on iTunes. Don't worry. Don't worry. Well, today is the day. And when you guys hear this song, you're going to understand why I love it and why, obviously, so many people besides me love it and why this is not only good for you to have in your playlist but give this to your kids tell them about it because if we listen to this song more often i think things would be going a lot more smoothly how would somebody listen to this live at zen parenting conference how would you i would i said that she's our musical guest i know but how would somebody register where do they go Oh, go to zenparentingradio.com um go to or you can go to zen gets real um and uh click on events and there it is and you can register we are getting registrations almost every day i think day. we have two or three 10 percent off coupon codes left. Left. So Zen Friend is the promo code. Yes, it gives you 10% off. And so come here, Kathy Singh. Come here, Dr. Shafali, John O'Sullivan, John Duffy, Todd and I, um, You know, so many wonderful people who are going to be here. And you can hear Kathy sing this amazing song. I am our show friends we hope you felt outstanding and if you want to continue feeling this outstanding go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast you can also subscribe via itunes and while you're there feel free to give us a kind review you can email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com or you can record a voicemail by clicking on the send us a voice message link on our homepage with comments or questions don't forget our zen parenting conference is on march 11th and 12th 2016. For more details, go to zengetsreal.com. If you're interested in any of Kathy's three award-winning books, you can purchase through our website or through Amazon. We also do local presentations, virtual retreats, and movie screenings, which can be found by clicking on the events tab on our webpage. If you ever stop, if you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you're interested in the Tribe, the monthly men's group that I co-facilitate, you can go to thetribemensgroup.com for more details. Lastly, and most importantly, a special thanks to our three partners, Avid Company, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, and John J. Kelly Dentistry. If you own a business and are interested in partnering with us, please send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Finally, we're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time. Mm-hmm.